Well, we are going through the book of, of Joshua. Thank you. We're going through the book of Joshua. And, um, but we're going to start reading in, in the book of Numbers because I, I want to introduce this man, Caleb, which we're about to read about in the book of Joshua. But he is first introduced to us in, in the book of Numbers, chapter 13. And in Numbers, chapter 13, the children of Israel had come out of, out of uh, Egypt only a short time before, maybe a year, year and a half, they had wandered in the wilderness, and then they were to go into and take the, the, the promised land. So they were down around in that area down there, and they were going to come up through Kadesh Barnea and into the promised land. And before Moses went into the promised land, he had to get, get, get an idea of the terrain and the things that were there. And, and then, so in Numbers chapter 13, verse 1, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send out for yourselves men, so that they may go spy out the land of Canaan, which I am going to give to the sons of Israel. You shall send a man from each of their father's tribes, every one a leader among them. So Moses was to choose one man from each of the twelve tribes, and each one of them was to be a leader among the tribes. So already God had, had identified men that were leaders among each of these tribes and they were to go out and spy out this land. And it start, he starts listing the names of the tribal leaders that were to go out, these leaders from each tribe. And in verse 6 of Numbers chapter 13 it says, From the tribe of Judah, Caleb the son of Jephunneh, from the tribe of Issachar, Igal the son of Joseph, and from the tribe of Ephraim, Ephraim, Hosea, the son of Nun. And we know from several other passages, we know from several other passages that um, Hosea was another name for Joshua, that Moses preferred to call him Joshua. Um, so there, there's the two people listed there, Caleb and Hosea, or Joshua. And then if we go on down, so, so, so Moses sends them to spy out the land, and in verse in, in verse uh, 17, in verse 17 it says, When Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan, he said to them, Go up there into the Negev, go up into the hill country, see what the land is like, and whether the people in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many. How is the land in which they live? Is it good or bad? And how are the cities in which they live? Are they like open camps? Or with fortifications? How is the land? Is it fat or lean? And are there trees in it or not? Make, every, make an effort then to get some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the time of the first ripe, ripe grapes. <clears throat> so Moses is sending them into the land. It's interesting that God had designated this land for the children of Israel to take. But they still didn't say, well, God wants us to go there. Well, when we get in there, he'll take care of it. No, he had them go strategically. He had them check it out. So it's as if you're going into a new city. You're going to be moving into a new city, say, going and, and, and to graduate school or something. It is not a lack of faith to go and to check out the city, to go and check out the apartments. How are the apartments there? Are they good or are they bad? Are they, what are the good areas? And, and, uh, and, and to make arrangements, to get online and to look around. This is exactly what Moses is doing. You can't have something that was more in line with the will of God for them to go into that land. But still, they were going and they were scoping it out. 
And this is part of life. You make plans in life. Even though you, you, you're going in the will of God, it's, it's not a lack of faith to go in to check these things out. So he tells them to do this. And so in verse uh, 21 of Numbers chapter 13, it says, So they went up and they spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rehob to Lehamath. Le- Le- and when they had gone up into the Negev, they came to Hebron, where is Ahim, Shashai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak were. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. So what they did is they came up, and they came up here, and here's Hebron, here's Debir, here's Hebron. They came up here, they went up into the hill country, and then they, came, they, they checked out also the coast. They went across, and they came up into this very fertile area just by Jericho. And, and that's where they, in this valley of Eshkol, that's where they got those, the, the grapes that we're about to read about. So you can look in, in uh, verse, in verse, uh, verse 23, it says, Then they came to the valley of Eshkol, and from there they cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes, and they carried it on a pole between two men with some of the pomegranates and the figs. And the place was called the valley of Eshkol because of the cluster which the sons of Israel cut down from there. So it turns out this valley is extremely fertile even to this day because you have all these mountains that are, that are near Jerusalem and they all pour their water down into that valley. So very fertile valley there. And that's where the city of Jericho, you could go to Jericho today. Americans can get there just fine. Israelis are not allowed to go because it's Palestinian territory. But American passports will get you in there and you can see, you see date trees and, 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 and uh, figs all over the place. It says in verse, in verse uh, 25, When they returned from spying out the land at the end of 40 days, they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and to the, all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and they showed them the fruit of the land. So the 12 spies come back. They're reporting what they checked out. So they're, they're, they're going through this land for a period of days, many days, and then they come back and they bring this fruit and now they're giving, giving the information. It says, Thus they told them and they said, We went into the land where, we were, where you sent us and it certainly does flow with milk and honey and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large and moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev, the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites are living in the hill country, and the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side and, and by the side of the Jordan. So all of this is accurate. Nothing was wrong with this report to this point. It was all accurate. He says the, they said the land is great. It does flow with milk and honey, meaning it's extremely fertile. And here's some of the fruit. Check it out. And they, they had carrying on a pole between two people was this cluster of grapes. And uh, he's, they, they said, nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong. Because remember, Moses said, are they strong or are they weak? They said, they're strong. And the cities are fortified. So in other words, they weren't just open encampments. And you can go and you can see these walled cities that are even from those days, you can see them. And uh, uh, so they have walls around them. So they were fortified. So they're giving this report. He says, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Anak were these, these giant people. These are, are, are like Goliath. 
these descendants of, of Enoch. And, and these are not just men that are six feet tall or six and a half feet tall. These are men that are eight and nine feet tall. So extremely large men. And, and he says, uh, in particular, he says, uh, um, he says that, that, uh, that they had gone up and they saw the, the, the city of Hebron. And so if you, if you, if you see there, in, it, this is up in verse 22, it says, when they had gone up into the Negev, they came to Hebron, where Ahman, Sheshai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, were. So there was one city in particular that they pick out, and that's Hebron right here. And they say, Hebron, now that's a really tough city. That's where the descendants of Anak live. I mean, that's the headquarter for the giants. That's where the giant people are, right there. So they gave out this report. So they had, they had checked out this land for 40 days, uh, and they give this report. And then it says in verse 30, so everybody's wondering, oh, how are we going to go in there? Everything's fortified, the people are strong. And Caleb comes and he quiets them in verse 30. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, we should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. So this gives you a picture of Caleb. He's a very optimistic guy. He's 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 type of person that, that I like to be around optimistic people. You know, that they, they, they speak encouragement. And this is what, what Caleb did. But the men who had gone up with him said, we're not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out. So everything to this point was accurate. It was not bad. It just was what it was. They're big people in the fortified cities. It's a matter of fact. Now they're giving out a bad or a false report. They say the land through which we have gone in spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. Uh, well, if it devours its inhabitants, how can people live there? I mean, how can that... And all the people whom we saw in it were men of great size. All the people? I mean, all the, everybody was a person? Weren't there little kids? I mean, different sized people. So, they also, there also we saw the Nephilim. The sons of Anak are part of the Nephilim. All of this is a lie. The Nephilim, remember, were from Genesis chapter 6. They had been wiped out in the flood. The sons of Anak were not part of the Nephilim. They're lying. So what they've done is they've built this thing up in their own mind, and now they're trying to say that they're Nephilim, which were these, the, the, these strange hybrid uh, spirit physical people that, that God destroyed in the flood. And we, came, we became like grasshoppers in, in, our, in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. In other words, we viewed ourselves as grasshoppers, and so we were. And then in chapter 14 of Numbers, then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night, and all the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to the land of Egypt? So they said to one another, Let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. Okay, so look at where it starts. They start crying. So they hear the bad report and they start crying. And they wept all night. And then all the sons of Israel, then they started to grumble against Moses and Aaron. So it started with crying. Then it turned into grumbling. And then they started just 
swirling on this thing. So what, what happens when we start thinking of something as being all negative? This situation in my life, it's just all bad. And then you start saying how bad it is. And after you're done crying, you start grumbling against everybody. Why do I have to come here to rice? I mean, people at rice, they're just so, oh, darn. everything's bad. And, and then they start grumbling against the leadership. You know, the professors, I mean, all the professors are terrible. They don't even care about their classes. They don't care about students. Nobody cares about me. My parents don't even care about me. And then all of a sudden, everything in a person's life is bad. And then they want to just go back to Egypt. Why don't I just go back home, forget about school? Who needs college anyway? And, and then they say, and our wives and our children, they're going to become plunder. This is what happens when you meditate on evil. When you meditate with a defeated mind, it starts with just weeping and crying about your situation. And then you start complaining and all of a sudden one tiny little thing, which you weren't even thinking about 30 minutes before, has now become life consuming. Has that ever happened to you? Happens to me all the time. I mean, perfectly fine. And 30 minutes later, I'm like, oh no, this is just terrible. I mean, it couldn't be that bad. I mean, 30 minutes ago, I wasn't even thinking about it. This is what happens in a life when it just starts, starts swirling around and, and you feed this thing. And then they say, let's appoint the leader. That means we've got to kill Moses and Aaron and Caleb too, because he's standing in the way. And let's go back to Egypt. We were slaves in Egypt, but still that was better than what we're going through now. And I now see this in people's lives sometimes. They, they want to just leave the Lord and go back to the world. I'm like... Are you kidding? You think God is a difficult taskmaster? How about Satan? You want to go back to that? Then Moses and Aaron, in verse 5, fell on their faces in the presence of all the assembly of the congregation and the sons of Israel. Joshua, the son of Nun, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, of those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel. The land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord be pleased with us, then he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. But all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Now remember, there were 600,000 men that came out of Egypt. That means you have at least 600,000 women. And you have probably, probably another, uh, another 1.2 million children or more. So you have several million people against Joshua, Caleb, Moses, and Aaron. I mean, it's kind of scary. They say, let's just stone them right here. And then the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of meeting to the sons of Israel. Boom! God comes down and he intercedes. He stands in front of them and he protects them. And then God says, let me just destroy this people. Moses pleads for the people so he doesn't destroy them. And then he makes some promises. God says in verse 22, Surely all the men who have seen my glory and my signs, which I performed in Egypt when they came out of the wilderness, yet they have put me to the test these ten times and have not listened to my voice, shall by no means see the land which I swore to the fathers, nor shall any of those who spurned me see it. 
but my servant Caleb, because he has had a different spirit and he has followed me fully, I will bring him into the land which he entered and his descendants will take possession of it. He made a promise to Caleb of the 12 men that had gone in just to Caleb and then further down to Joshua as well in verse 30. Surely you shall not come into the land which I swore to settle except Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun. That is it. Every man, 20 years old and upward, was going to die in the wilderness in a 38-year period. Except Caleb and Joshua, they were going to go into the land. Now, fast forward to the book of Joshua, chapter 14. That lays the groundwork for us. Joshua, chapter 14. And in Joshua, chapter 14, Joshua is dividing up the land. There are only two men who were 20 years old or upward who got into that land. The only people getting into that land who were also alive at that experience 38 years earlier were were young people who were 19 or younger. Those were the only ones who were getting into that land. That entire generation died during that 38-year period. So then then it says... um, uh, We'll start reading at verse 6. Of, of Joshua chapter 14. Then the sons of Judah, so it was time to divide up the land, and remember, the division of the land came in this way. It came first by the size of the tribe, decided how much land they were going to get, and then the area that they were going to get was decided by lot. Then the sons of Judah drew near to Joshua in Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the, the Kenizzite, said to him. Now, remember, Gilgal is this little way station right near Jericho, the first camp they set up before they had attacked Jericho. So that was their their base during these early years. Caleb comes to Joshua. Remember, they're all buds. They had gone into the land 40 years earlier, 38 years earlier, and spied out and spent 40 days together going through the land. You spend 40 days camping with somebody, you really get to, to know them. And then everyone else... Everyone else around them died. It's just those two guys of the original guys came in. Remember, everyone around them is younger than them by at least 20 years because we're going to learn that Caleb was 40 years old when he went into the land. Everyone 20 and, and over died except those. So, so you got Joshua and Caleb, these two old guys. Everyone else is at least 20 years younger than these two. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know the word which the Lord spoke to Moses, the man of God, concerning me in Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made, me, made, my, made the heart of the people melt with fear, but I followed the Lord fully. So look what happened. He says, my brethren made the heart of the people melt with fear. If you come with negativity, you can bring fear and sorrow and pain into everyone around you. A man comes with negativity into his home all the time. He will bring down his wife and his children with him. When you come with negativity all the time, his heart, their hearts made all the people, made millions of people fear. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden will be an inheritance to you and to your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God fully. Now behold, the Lord has let me live, just as he spoke these forty years, from the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses, when Israel walked in the wilderness, 
And now behold, I am 85 years old today. Okay, so remember, that was about 38 years they spent wandering in the wilderness because of that. There were a year and a half or so, or two years up to that point. He's now 85 years old since that time. This is why the battle for the land of Israel took about seven years in total. He's 85 at this point. He's now 85 years old. God made him a promise at the age of 40. You are going to take that land. Where you went, where you put your foot, it's yours. What you want... Caleb, it's yours. God made him that promise through Moses. Forty-five years he has waited for this promise to be fulfilled. Forty-five years. How long have you waited for a promise? Forty-five minutes maybe? And then you go, I can't wait anymore. I'm just going to do it. Forty-five years he waited for this promise to be fulfilled. Then he says, he says, I am 85 years old today. Then in verse 11. I am still as strong today as I was in the day Moses sent me. As my strength was then, so my strength is now for war, for going out, for coming in. Whoa! I mean, the man is 85 years old. He says, I'm as strong as I was when I was 40. I can do it. (laughs) Get out of my way. I mean, this is what it must have been like. And the people around him are looking like, you all right, Caleb? But, but this guy was absolutely fearless, 85 years old. He says, let me take that land. And you think, oh, well, he'll take some little town there, you know, some tiny little town that doesn't have any walls around it, where there's like, 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 like um, pygmies living in that town. <laughs> he says in verse 12, now give me this hill country about which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day that... Anakim were there with great fortified cities. Perhaps the Lord will be with me and I will drive them out as the Lord has spoken. So Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Whoa! Of all the cities, he chose Hebron, the headquarters of the giants. The giants lived in that city. He he said, I want the giant's city. And Joshua said, okay, (laughs) help yourself. But this is what the man was like. Absolutely fearless. And 45 years, how godly can you be? 45 years he waited for a promise. Has God promised you something? Are you frustrated? Maybe it's not time for your promise to be fulfilled. You walk with God as Caleb did. Verse 14, therefore Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, until this day, because he followed the Lord God of Israel fully. Now the name of Hebron was formerly Kiriath Arba, for Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim. Then the land had rest from war. Now again, look at part of the summary that comes in in Joshua chapter 15. Joshua chapter 15, verse 13. Now he gave Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, a portion among the sons of Judah, according to the command of the Lord to Joshua, namely Kiriath Arba, Arba being the father of Anak, that is Hebron. Caleb drove out from there three sons of Anak, Cheshai, Ahiman, and Talmai, the children of Anak. Remember there was a reference to them back in the book of Numbers? They're still there. They were still there. Caleb said, I saw them there. 45 years ago, I'm taking them out. They're going down. 
I mean, imagine the guy rolling up his sleeves and Hebron is up on a big hill, sort of like Jerusalem. And he's marching up this hill. And he's got his staff in his hand and his sword and he's ready to go. And he's there with his kids and he's going to take this land. I mean, amazing faith this man had. Caleb drove out the three sons of Anak, and we read then in verse, in verse 15. Then he went up from there against the inhabitants of Debir. Debir is this city right here. There's Hebron, there's Debir, just a few miles away. He went up to Debir. Now the name of Debir formerly was Kiriath Sefer. And Caleb said, the one who attacks Kiriath Sefer and captures it, I will give Aksa, my daughter, as a wife. Othniel, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, captured it, and so he gave him Aksa, his daughter, as a wife. And it came about when she came to him, she persuaded him to ask her father for a field. So she alighted from the donkey, and, and Caleb said to her, What do you want? And then she said, Give me a blessing, since you have given me the land of the Negev. Give me also the springs of water. So he gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. It's interesting to see what the rabbis write about this. The rabbis write about this, that this woman, Aksa, this, this daughter of Caleb, that it is associated with the name uh, uh, to argue, to argue. And it's because the rabbis say this woman was so beautiful, Aksa was so beautiful, because imagine Caleb, you know, she's got to be beautiful if he's getting somebody to risk his life to take the beer. I mean, if she wasn't beautiful, they'd be like, no thanks, <laughs> I don't think I'll take the beer. Not a very nice city anyway. But, so she must have looked really good, right? I mean, you know what I'm talking about. I know it's politically incorrect, but you know what I'm talking about. So her name is associated with arguing. So why is her name associated with arguing? And the rabbis say, because she was so beautiful that whenever a man saw her, he would argue with his wife, why can't you be as beautiful as her? That's what the, the rabbis write. So, so you think I'm not politically correct? What about the rabbis? But, but anyway, this, this is what was going on in the time. This is what was going on. Caleb took that land at 85 years old. He's taking land. And, and uh, uh, she says to her, her new husband, Othniel, get me some springs of water. I need some springs of water here. I got the beer, but, but the springs are out, outside the beer. So she says, ask my father. But then she goes ahead and asks her father because a daughter can get whatever she wants from her father. I mean, daughters are like that. And uh, um, so she goes to her father and, and uh, she comes to him and she, so she alights from her donkey. <laughs> Papa! She says, what, what would you like? Oh, just, you've given me a beautiful city, but I got no water. I need springs of water. So he gives her the upper and the lower springs. And so Othniel says, you go ask your father. He won't turn you down. And this is, this is what happens. This is the life that happens. You have two men, two men only that can capture this. Every word in this book is true. Every word in the Bible is true. Everything. You will have some professor someday tell you that, oh, this is a bunch of nonsense. This is made up. You can't trust it. You can trust every word. God looks over His word to perform it. Every word is absolutely true. You can't add to this book. You cannot take away from it. You cannot. Every country that has tried to get rid of the Bible, it happened in China. They had this purge to try to get rid of everything. Now you got more Christians in China than in any other country. God said, okay, you want to do that? Watch what I'm going to do in a generation. You turn the whole thing around. 
Now you got Bibles everywhere. This word of God is true. And if you want to walk, if you want to walk in faith, we must take this word and believe it and take hold of it. I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. We're going to be reading from verse 7. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and consider the result of their conduct. Imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This word of God does not change. You have a man who says that we can take those people, we can do this, we can accomplish this. The word of God is true. He has made a promise to us. And God honored His promise Took 45 years, but he took that land. So confident he would take that land. Every word in this book is true. If you want to see the power of God in your life, you come to the point where you understand that every word in the Bible is true. That you can take those promises and call upon them. And you will have quote-unquote scholars tell you, well, you can't trust this, you can't trust that. I don't want their lives. Look at their lives. Look at their families. Do you want to be like them? I had men instructing me in my life, taught me the Word of God, taught me to have faith in what was written here. And I've taken this Word of faith every day of my life and taken it into my life since that time, since I was 18 years old, brought it into my life. He says, remember those who led you, who spoke the Word of God to you and consider the result of their conduct. Imitate their faith. I want to imitate the faith of the godly men that taught me that taught me to rely on the Word of God, the authenticity of the Word of God, the truth of the Word of God, and all these so-called people who come giving me instruction, oh, well, that's not real, that's not real. And look at their lives. There's no power. You are so weak, you would go back to Egypt in a nanosecond. You would go back to Egypt. These men of God that taught me, you remember this Word. Every word in it is true. Take hold of the Word of God. Every word in it is true. We are to follow their example. And we're going to close with this. Turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. We're going to read from verse 13. Philippians 3 verse 13. Brethren, I do not regard myself... Let me start in verse 12. Verse 12, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Christ. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He says, I, he said that, that, Forgetting what lies behind, I reach forward to what lies ahead. You will have failures in your life. You will have things that happen in your life. And you will say, how can I, just, how can I go on? Do you think Caleb never had a failure in his life after the age of 40? I mean, all those years in the wilderness that he never failed on anything, he could well have said, oh, well, I really blew it. God must be, he's never going to fulfill the promise now. I could never do it. I'm such a failure. Everybody's looking at me. I'm such a failure. If you take 
this negative word and just keep thinking about it, it's going to pull you down just like it did the children of Israel. Do not take these negative words and allow them to pull you down. You will go through these sinusoidal changes in life. You'll go through these days of depression. Don't stay there. Don't stay there because it'll start with weeping. Then it'll change into grumbling. And before you know it, you want to give up on life and just head back to the world. Don't let it do that to you. Recover quickly from these downtimes. Remember, God has something much greater for you. Paul said, I, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. So often I have to call upon this verse. I said, no, I'm going to forget what I've done wrong. I'm going to forget what lies behind and I am pressing forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I am pressing on to the prize. Pressing on to the prize that He has for you. Remember, God has spoken promises. He has said, He who serves me, the Father will honor in John chapter 12. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. You serve God, He will honor you. You think you've blown it in your life? There is recovery. Forget what lies behind and press on. You can take the Lord's Supper and in the Lord's Supper you ask forgiveness. You can any moment ask forgiveness, but the Lord's Supper, Supper reminds us of the times when we need to ask for forgiveness. And allow the Holy Spirit to just pick you up and go on. You say, well, I really blew it in the eyes of all these people. Well, welcome to my world. I blow it in the eyes of people all the time. All the time. I mean, this is my life. Blow it all the time. But I just got to get up and press on. Let them say what they're going to say. I am pressing, it, pressing on because I take this verse. I, one thing I do, this one thing I do, Paul says, is I forget what lies behind and I reach forward to what lies ahead. I forget what lies behind and I go forward to what lies ahead. You do that in your life. And remember, the promises of God are sure. It may take decades, but the promises of God are sure. Let's pray. Abba, Father, thank you so much for the truth of your word. I pray that you come now upon these young people and you you confirm this word to, to their hearts, Lord. Confirm it to their hearts. Father, I pray that you would make them like Caleb, to be strong in spirit through decades upon decades of life. Father, that you would make them strong in spirit. Father, I pray that they would take hold of your promises and never forget them. Lord, I pray that they would take hold of your word and forget what lies behind. And when they go through these seasons in life where they've so blown it, that they would learn to repent quickly and move on. Repent quickly and move on. And they would press on to the upward call of Christ. Father, I pray that you do this in their lives, that they would not forget this message, to forget what lies behind. And Lord, that they would take your word as every word being God-breathed and being true. Your word is true. And to never forget that the word of God is true and is accurate and is there for strengthening, for training in righteousness. Father, I pray that you would work this in their lives. 
do that great work. And Father, for those here who do not know you, Lord, I pray that this day they would pray along with me and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me because I am a sinner and come into my life. Forgive me and come into my life. Lord, I pray that you welcome them this day into the kingdom of God for the glory of Jesus. Amen.